0: with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome
1: to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir?
2: I'm feeling, in the paraphrased words of Johnny Infantino, Japanese. (laughs) Yeah, Liverpool are on the
1: cusp of securing the signing of Wataru Endo from Stuttgart for a fee in the region of £15.4 million, which uh, we, we were talking with Guy just before we went live, and it is high, but in this current market, who the fuck knows what's high and what's normal?
2: Well, there is no normal, so we can scrub that off the possible list anyway. Um, It's just high or very high, isn't it, at the minute? So a body, a person, a capable player, all of those ticked off. Someone who's actually progressive in deep areas. Oh, There's my speaker shouting at me. Um, Someone who's actually progressive in deep areas as well, an important thing. Price-wise, people are going to argue about it, whether he's got one year left on his contract or six, and whether he's 22 years old or 36 So I don't really think we need to bother going too much into that, to be honest.
1: Yeah, in fairness, the majority of arguments have come from people that just haven't seen him play and had never heard of him. Um, I saw him referred to by multiple big accounts on social media as an unknown player, and when I pointed out that he was a 50-cap Japanese international who's also Japan's captain, who's also also the captain of Stuttgart, who are one of the bigger teams in Germany, which is a top five league, a top four league in truth. Uh, They then just turned around and went, yeah, but he's 30. Right. Congratulations. You you can read his date of birth. He has played 15,000 minutes less than Fabinho in his career. That is four seasons, basically, of football less than Fabinho. So, I think he's going to be all right. Now, there are some concerns about whether, you know, his physical stats dropped last season. Um, that's fine. He, he was excellent last season. He was the biggest reason Stuttgart stayed in the Bundesliga and didn't get relegated because around him was just eons and eons of trash. Uh, if you see the reaction of Stuttgart fans, they're devastated to be losing him. Like, they're about to lose Mavroponas as well, who's a, a very good centre-back. And they couldn't care less because they're devastated to be losing this guy. This is their captain and their leader. Now, that can be harsh, partial delusion as well because there were some people devastated for us to lose Henderson. But what I take solace from, Carl, is that the the people who watch a lot of Bundesliga, like I watch a bit of Bundesliga these days, but the people that watch a lot of it, the people whose profession is watching the Bundesliga, they are raving about this move. So, I I do take solace from the fact that the people who know the most are all keen on this move for us.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I think Endo is a very, very good player. He is someone we referenced earlier in the summer, uh, looking at players who had a year left on the contract. Again, I think it is probably above what we said at that point for for a transfer fee, which would be reasonable, but, like you've just pointed out, there isn't really any reasonable this summer so far you now when we're talking about even today deals getting done newcastle to chelsea uh, sorry Chelsea to Newcastle for a basically a player who has had half a season of being on the fringes of the team in a different position to his natural position for between thirty and forty million pounds. I don't really know where you go from there, to be perfectly honest. It's it's a difficult one to assess. Mm. So, you know, this this other factor that we have to accept is that whether or not we wanted the players to stay or go, here we're talking about Milner, Henderson, Fabinho, those are experienced players. Those are players who have nothing to do with uh, footballing experience here, but I'm talking about being alive. experience. They are older and therefore you have a certain maturity and a certain outlook and a certain behavioural um, set of processors and all of this kind of stuff, which you do have to replace it somehow in the group. You can't just have all you know, kids and, and younger 20s sort of players. Mm. You do have to have this other age group, which I looked up to. And people like Thiago are now you know, kind of the, the few of them left, and Van Dijk and Salah, that kind of thing. So it's not the worst thing in the world to add someone to them, even if you don't believe that his football level is elite or will be. It's no, still important thing. to have a group.
1: Carl, James Miller played for Liverpool for eight years. He was never a lead a day in his life, but yet there are people that will tell you he was—he's the, the best free signing we ever made. Uh, he's not, by the way, but there's people that will tell you that he was, and a lot of those same people—the same people—disparaging this move. Um, in a world where Romeo Lavia, with thirty-six senior appearances to his name, is going for sixty million, I'm all right paying fifteen point four for a fellow with hundreds of appearances and 50 caps for a major international team. Like, this is not like he's got 50 caps for Swaziland or somebody. Like, Japan are a powerhouse in Asia. They're a difficult out in every international tournament that they play in. He was really good at the World Cup as well. So I'm absolutely fine with this move. Um, as Um As long as it's followed by the starter. And I think one of the, the, the funniest things I've seen on, on social media today is like, oh, well, we're we're replacing a 29-year-old Fabinho with a 30-year-old Endo. Uh, no, we're not. We, we're going to replace Fabinho with somebody else. This guy's, I would look at him as the Milner replacement because I think Dominic replaces Henderson. I think Alexis replaces both Ox and Naby and will play more minutes on his own than they did combined in either of the last, what, four or five seasons. This is the Milner replacement. This is the adult in the room. Klopp spoke about wanting someone in the squad who he could put on late in games to see things out. This guy can play centre-back, holding midfield, can play on his own or in a two in midfield, can play right-back. And is the type of guy you can put on to just see out a game? So I don't really see what the downside here is. I think our plan is to Cure and Andre as the two we, we really want. And we can't get Andre till January without a significant overpay. So I think we're going to wait for him till January Maybe we do the deal now or in September, October. And I think we'll look to bring in... It, it, De Cure, if we can get him, it, it might be somebody else. But I think we're looking at that calibre of player to come in and start. So till January, you have De and Endo. Beyond that, you'll have De Endo and Andre. Now, I know... The one concern there is Dakuri will go to AFCON and, and Endo will go to the Asian Cup and they're on and around the same time. So we would be without both. But if Andre has arrived and we have Besetic up to speed by then and he's gotten some decent reps in his legs and he's feeling a bit stronger, you can rotate them through the three or four games that the other two might miss while they're away. So I think there's logic to it. I also think it's the club saying we don't think Stefan's ready to play big minutes this summer or this season. I think that's the other thing it tells us that they don't think he's ready for big minutes this season. Cause if he was, I think he'd just be the one they'd use when, you know, Ducuri is not playing, but I he think there's logic in this move.
0: Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must have fan threads. Well, As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah,
2: I I think it makes quite a lot of sense, to be honest. Even, excuse me, from the perspective of which it could be for late in games, it could not be. Um, He's also a player, although primarily a defensive player, he can play that more advanced progressive game. I'm not talking about like getting into the box or anything like that but playing as one of another central midfielder who's going to be much more controlled much more sitting in place and being capable linking play to the further forward players. he can still get minutes in that kind of uh, area of the pitch if Alexis isn't available or Jones is injured again or Thiago doesn't really fulfill a a role whatever it is he's more than capable from a technical perspective as well as being a defensive player so I, I have no concerns over him being in the squad. Um, uh, like you say, it's just that we do still need a starter. And
1: yeah. I mean, look, the, the other thing people are knocking is, Oh, well, it's a, it's a non homegrown spot. We can very easily solve that by just not registering Adrian. Adrian has not signed on thinking he's going to play. He knows he's not going to play. He knows he is the training ground goalkeeper. That's what his role is. So registering him or not registering him makes no difference. We have Ali, we have Kelleher. And our third choice goalkeeper can be someone like Pitaluga or whoever, one of those young goalkeepers of which we have 40. So you can just not register Adrian. We may also have a sale coming up. It may be that Joel Matip, who's currently not in training for some reason, um, or Costa Simicus finally gets moved on. So I'm not worried about any of that kind of stuff. We, we will, we will sort that out. The other thing I'll add, Carl, and the last thing I'll add on, on, on Endo. In the last three seasons and one game, he has scored 14 goals from deep midfield positions and centre-back. James Milner scored seven goals from open play in his entire Liverpool career and didn't score a single goal for like the last three years. To find 14 goals from Henderson, you have to go back to the 14-15 season, take his last goal from that year and every goal since. So while it's not huge numbers—three, four, six last season—and one in his one game for them this season—he does add another potential source of goals to the group, which can be a valuable thing. I, I hear goals are kind of important in football. Like, I, I other than his age, which is a little bit of a concern, but as we said, you do need older players in the group. As as it stands, we've got Ali, Adrian, Virgil, Matip, Robbo, Thiago, and Mo. And they're the only ones in the squad over the age of 26, I think.
2: I mean, so, I don't think his age is a concern in the slightest, to be honest. I know no. we still have this habit of saying 30 football old, but it isn't. And he could play the exact same way as he does now for three years. Whether yeah, or not you think yeah. his, his physical level declined last season or it's just a bit of a different role, it, he could play the same as he is now for three years without any dramatic physical drop-off. 33 is still not old.
1: No, it's not. And, and the thing is, his, his, if, if his physical level did drop last season, it's probably because he was surrounded by shit and having to carry that team to try and keep them in the Bundesliga, playing pretty much every game. Like, he doesn't get hurt. In the last five years, the only games he's missed that weren't the manager's decision to just rest him or leave him out were one game through a concussion and one through COVID. Now, he had injury problems earlier in his career, but not in the last five years. Last season, he played 3,500 minutes. We're probably only looking at wanting him to play about fifteen to 1,600 minutes. So he'll be able to... Give us everything he has for that time. And I'm telling you now, the people doing the most whinging, I really hope he plays against Bournemouth so that those people can see him play for the very first time in their entire lives. And I guarantee when he walks off the field, they'll be like, oh, he's actually pretty useful because he'll have run half a marathon. He'll have done it almost all at high intensity. He'll have made eight tackles, he'll have had two interceptions, a block, three clearances, and he'll have given everything he has to give. And this is and a fan base that Lord minutes. and Lucas Laver.
2: Yeah, I mean look, if you need to see any kind of <clears throat> um oh, visible proof of what he'll give, if nothing else at all, go on just watch an easy, easy highlight. Last day of the season in twenty twenty two and watch what he does to make sure that he scores and his team stay up and don't get relegated. Just go and watch what he does. Yeah, The efforts, the mentality, the resilience, the desire to win and do things for his team, for his teammates, is one of the biggest things about Wataru Endo.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Give me all the fucking Japanese samurai warriors. They, them boys will come in with the right mentality. There'll be no shirking of challenges from this guy. We, we can say that for certain. Um, let's move on. One thing, though, you mentioned the Lewis Holt to Newcastle deal. Carl, I have to say, if it was at all possible, I'd be trying to hijack that deal. I, I think that kid is really special. And I know the price is very, very high, but I think he's a lefty Trent if you want him to be. I think you could play him at left back and he would be Trent-esque in that position. Um, so I do think it's it's long-term going to be a great get for Newcastle. And I think it's just utter stupidity that Chelsea are selling him. Um, we have a question from Discord. This is from YNWA Foodie. Uh, as we are in desperate need for a sporting director, who would be your top five realistic choices? Now, we've done something like this before. I think we did a pod on this kind of topic uh, before the appointment of Mr. Schmacka. um, I think at this point though, it's become even more desperate that we need um, a, a high class, high caliber director of football to be appointed once this window ends, because Look very clearly, Jorg Schmakke is not up to is not up to the task. He's had a fairly disastrous summer in terms of trying to get deals done. We're rapidly approaching the end of the window, and this will be the second signing that he has made. And the other one was a release clause, which you know took about a day to get done. This one is getting done quickly. So you would wonder what has he been doing the rest of the time. You would wonder why this summer seems to not have really been planned for all that well. So who would you be looking at in terms of directors of football that we could potentially go and get in, in um, January,
2: uh, September rather. Before, yeah, before January. Um, Honestly, I, I, kind of decided I would not leave and think about this up until like the end of the transfer window and then decide what should be done afterwards. So I'm kind of still desiring to stick to that from my point, but I did see your tweet where you listed out a few who are out of work at the moment. And there are a few mm-hmm. on there who would or should be in the conversation in any case, at least one of them I know we discussed previously anyway. Um So, I mean, happy for you to go through those, but in all honesty, I'd much rather focus my irritations on what we should be doing over the next three weeks rather than already 100%. trying to think of what agreed. is next. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, LFC approved, asked the question, name some sporting directors that Liverpool can consider. So I, I tried to rule out people that I, I think are ungettable. Now there's some suggestion that Max Eberl is gettable from Leipzig. And if he is, he would vault very high up on my list. But I have a list of seven names here. So Marcus Kroos is the first one. Uh, He's at Eintracht Frankfurt, formerly at at Leipzig. He's been in the Red Bull system, known for having his eye for talent. Um, Giovanni Rossi is one I really like. I think he's done incredible work with Sassuolo over over two terms there. He is is the architect of the modern-day Sassuolo, which... If you had look, if you look at what that club was prior to his arrival the first time, it is it's genuinely a miracle what he's done with them. Uh Florian Maurice, I like he's at Wren, he's got a really good eye for young players. I think he might need someone over him, though, with a bit more oversight, because his focus is very narrow at times. Um Clemens Hartenbach, very, very under the radar. Freiburg are another one of the miracle clubs in Europe in my view because this is a team that have no business at all competing at the upper end of the Bundesliga. Uh, Budget-wise, they should be struggling to stay in the division, but they're challenging for top four year after year now. And Christian Strike, who's the manager, gets a lot of the credit. But behind the scenes, the work is done by Hartenbach and he's excellent. Very highly regarded as well. Then the three who are out of work. So Christian Vaval was in the Red Bull system for a long time. Super highly rated. Chelsea nabbed him somehow and then brought him into that zoo. He took a very quick look around and decided in a couple of months, this is a circus. I am leaving. Because they tried to basically have three sporting directors and a whole bunch of other people that are highly qualified recruiters. But nobody with any real expertise when it comes to running a football club, bar him, and he felt marginalized. So he's left. He'll be available, I believe, in September. So I think he's one to strongly consider. Gabriel Zamagna is the next one. He was the architect of the brilliant Atalanta team a few years ago. He rebuilt their academy He is phenomenally good at finding value in players that are cast-offs, that are being overlooked at other clubs. Like, you know, the team he put together there that everybody that saw them fell in love with, they were were one of the most, if not the most, entertaining team in Europe to watch. That was him. He did that. He hired the manager, found the players, and then he found other players like Kulishevski and Ahmed Diallo, Who rarely, if ever played for the club, but they sold them at huge amounts, which allowed them to go and find players that would fit into what they were doing. And the last one is uh, Jose Luis Camanero, who built the great Atleti team that won the Bundesliga and got to the Bundesliga, won La Liga and got to two Champions League finals under Simeone. Atleti's recruitment has fallen off a cliff since he left the club. Now, the the thing that would stand in his favour is he's used to working with a manager who is incredibly demanding, incredibly hard headed, and doesn't generally like anybody to argue with him. He went. There are stories that you will will hear and see of him and Simeone standing nose-to-nose, screaming at each other, with other people just standing around basically with first aid kits in case it turned into a brawl, he wouldn't back down from Klopp, which I think is going to be vital. Whoever comes in has to be able to put Jürgen back in his box because as things stand now, the way I look at the club, Jürgen is the sporting director, and given how we're playing and the shape we're using, I think Pep and Linders is the coach of the team right now, and that needs to change. Jurgen needs to go back to being the coach. Linders needs to fuck off back to being an assistant manager, which is all he is and all he should be. And a real director of football needs to come in and have complete oversight on footballing matters. Appointments, decisions, recruitment, all of it needs to flow through one person, and that's your sporting director. So... They're the list that I've got. There's a few others as well you could throw in, but that's, that's the working list I have at the moment that I could consider realistic. Now, whether Hartenbach would leave Freiburg, I don't know. He, he, he loves being there. Him and Strike have an amazing relationship and a bond. So he might not want to leave, but they're a club where I think maybe we could consider going and
2: trying to poach him. We will revisit this in more depth and detail after the window mm. shut. And after yeah. Schmadke's future becomes clear because, you know, let's not just jump to the assumption that it will happen the way we expect it to, because, you know, mad shit happens.
1: If if he remains the sporting director beyond the summer, then it is, it is time for FSG to sell up and go, because they've lost interest. If they're not paying attention to what's happening here. Like, the fact that Billy Hogan had to go and take over the Caicedo thing does not speak well of, of Schmatke at all. Um, I, he's getting credit for the Endo deal. But I have to say, Carl, the last person who bought him was Sven Mislintat, who's a very close friend of Jürgen. And I would be shocked if he didn't make the phone call to Jürgen and say, you're looking for defensive midfielder? This guy's going on an affordable price, going by him, he's really good. So they they might be trying to give Schmatke some credit here, or maybe protect Jurgen in case it doesn't work out. But I I bet that hasn't come from him. I bet it. If it, if it has, why wasn't it done a month ago? Like, why didn't we go for him in early July, when the price probably would have been less? Makes no well, we sense know
2: why. to me. We know why, because we've not managed to plan properly ourselves.
1: No, that's that's exactly that's it. We that's haven't the, planned that's at all. the issue. Yeah. Um, right, let's move on then. Liverpool face Bournemouth at the weekend. Yeah. Um, a Bournemouth team that are, I think, and I, you might disagree, but I think they're one of the most interesting teams to watch this season because I really like the manager. We've talked before about the business they did in in January, and I think they've had a very good summer transfer window with at least one more player on the way in. Now since we last spoke, they about them, they've added Alex Scott, who I, I think is a tremendously talented midfielder that I would have loved us to be in for if we had if we didn't have such pressing needs, he's one I would have loved us to go for. And they added Max Ahrens, and I said they needed a right-back because the right-back situation was horrendous. I think Max Ahrens for $7 million is really good value. It's not that long ago Norwich were quoting teams $40 million for him. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: Massive pickup, Max (laughs) Ahrens. That is a really, really smart piece of work that they've done there, actually. Um, And to be honest, a few of the outgoings as well, although they've not really brought in any money, I think that they are quite clear people they could upgrade on for, for almost all of it. Maybe Jefferson Lime is the only one you would say they could have done with keeping a hold of, but even there, probably are able to replace him in terms of ball winning somewhere down the line anyway. So I think their work overall has been really, really smart this summer. A um, couple of them already in the team, obviously on the first weekend of the season. Max Aaron's one of those. Um, I'm looking to see if people like... I mean, I don't know as much about Alex Scott as you do. I know you've been going on him for a, a, quite a while now, but I think more established people like uh, Traore, who they brought in last season, now making move permanently. If he can have more of an impact across an entire campaign, if people like Justin Cliver, who they've brought in now, uh, are able to take the steps which were expected of them a couple of years ago, they suddenly have a team which could, a year or two years down the line, start to look a little bit like, Let's say Brighton of two years ago, maybe not right now because they've not got like, you know, three groups in a row ready to come through, but where Brighton were with those players who are much better than the money they've paid for, much better than the size of the team by the name alone would suggest. And actually a really, really good plan in place in terms of the club structure, the manager and his setup on the pitch. There's quite a lot to like about them. I think they're a little bit lightweight at the moment in terms of a little bit of depth in certain areas, but also in terms of the midfield, like I say, in terms of some, a bit more ball winning, there's going to be a lot of reliance on, um, uh, Philip Billing at the minute, I think in terms of that job, but overall it looks a really, really nice rebuild and overhaul to a certain extent, because there's a lot of players now coming into this side, even who were there, but not playing a big role. My biggest thing of the first game of the season in their lineup, Ilya Zavani straight in at centre back he played just the last few at the back end of last season after being basically given a few months to get up to speed training-wise and and in terms of the team and the league and everything. But straight in this year, I think you can see straight away that is someone who's going to look to build this team around and he yeah. is excellent.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think if you have him as the kind of bedrock in the middle of your defence and you've got Aaron's at right back and Kirk is at left back, all of a sudden that's starting to take shape and then you've got the option of Sinisi or Lloyd Kelly to play next to him as a natural left foot. A young James Hill looks like he'll get some minutes this year as well and when they got him, that was seen as a bit of a coup. They got him like for a million quid or something and he's very highly regarded. So that defence is starting to take shape and there's talent there and the ability to get better and improve over the next couple of years and potentially, I think Zebrani and, and Kirkus, I think they'll sell them for enormous money. I genuinely think they'll be big, big money departures when they eventually move on. And Aaron's, I think they'll make a fortune on as well because he he is a really, really good player. and can play both sides as well. Um, there is talk that they're in for Tyler Adams and there was talk that they, they were going to trigger um, the release clause. Now, whether or not that deal gets done remains to be seen, but... If they get Tyler Adams into that midfield as the replacement for Jefferson Lerma, and they've got, you know, Billing can sit in and do the holding role. Lewis Cook can play the holding role. But Adams is is a level above them as that defensive midfielder, especially as a ball winner. It, it That defensive unit then gets real protection. Obviously injuries are a bit of a concern with him, but if they can manage him and Lewis Cook so one of them is always, you know, ready to play. I think they could be in pretty good shape. I really like what they're doing here. And you mentioned Hamad Traore. I'm expecting big things from him this season. I think Scott might take a little bit of time to adapt to the Premier League, but they'll get, I think they'll get a lot from him. You've got Oatara. I think Tavenir with a full season of Premier League under his belt should be very good this season. Um. There's a lot of really good players in this squad. And um Michael Elise has signed a new four-year deal at Crystal Palace. Well that is very, very interesting. Have Chelsea have Chelsea soiled themselves after reports came out that they were suspected of tapping him up and breaking some rules and backed away? Is that what's happened here? Or have they realised that they just can't keep flagrantly cheating the financial fair play rules?
2: I assume that was rhetorical. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what's going on here. Um, Palace haven't even announced it, have they? It's just Steve Parrish has said it.
1: That is fantastic news. That also potentially means that Liverpool's pursuit of Czech de Cure becomes a little bit easier... If they're not going to have to be replacing Elise
2: as well, so I mean, we can assume that there's a, a specific release clause built into this as well, right? Whether yes, it's I'd say probably raised, sixty
1: million, maybe something yeah, more raised, reasonable, raised
2: an amount. But yeah,
1: well, <laughs> fuck you, Chelsea, from everybody. Um, great, great, great. If that's a huge win for Palace, and I'm absolutely delighted that he's staying there because. It it does keep the possibility open that maybe next summer we might go and nab ourselves Michael Elise, who I I just I love watching the guy play. He's just it's so the game is so natural to him. It's incredible. Um where were we? Oh yeah, Bournemouth. Um so obviously, yeah, they they've they've recruited fairly well. A couple of odd moves. The Cliver one's a little bit odd. It seems
2: more I mean, like It's a gamble, gamble, but it's cheap, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a cheap gamble, nine point five million. The talent is, is is unquestionable. It's the consistency and the maturity that are things that you might ding him on. But I found myself watching um, a couple of Valencia games some last season. And he was actually pretty good in the game. Now, I didn't, didn't watch a ton of Valencia because it makes me sad to watch them at this point, what Peter Lim has done to them. But he, he got eight goals in 29 games. and At least two of the three games I watched.
2: He was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, like I, I do think that it might be a case of impact player, at least to start with, but you could say that about a few of their players to be perfectly honest. Jaden Anthony, someone who I mentioned last season hey. a number of times and the way he affected games off the bench, he actually started against West Ham and, and got taken back off. So, Obviously, David Brooks then coming back into the fold and he's starting the game after what he's been through is another amazing that's thing. And they're, Brilliant. Uh-huh. And that's
1: like another new signing for them as well, because
2: he's, he's hugely talented. When, when I speak about, you know, depth in certain areas of the pitch is, is needed to be a bit better. I'm absolutely not talking about that line behind the forward. Um, Cliver Hamatriore and who was the other one didn't play or didn't start somebody else? Django Atara? Jack he was didn't start. Yeah, yeah he, was that, he, was, wasn't he. he wasn't involved. So uh, there's three who didn't start and who could be three starters, really, really good, and who could be worth a lot of money each if they have a decent mm. season. Like, so maybe you look at whether or not Semenyo can can do enough to displace Dom Solanke or Dom Solanke can step up more than he has offered so far at Premier League level. But I think the three, the the creativity there the outlet play in terms of their speed, the runs in behind, the work rate of them and what I did notice, especially in the first hour against West Ham, I think it was about 10 minutes after that I had to switch off and go elsewhere but for the first hour, the inter- the rotation of positions between the three of them was really, really good. Like, yeah. Christie was nominally their number 10 but wasn't there very often. Jaden Anthony usually plays out wide but he was in the middle a lot. So there's lots and lots that they have going for them in terms of uh, counter attacking play, in terms of switches of play build up around uh, defensive midfielders you know Suchek and Pakita were West Ham's defensive mids as such Their double pivot Pakita I think had to do a lot more work than he is used to and a lot more work than Suchek well I thought on, on that first hour anyway so Bournemouth not going to be boring this season definitely a team who over the next 18 months 24 months could be ones to watch a lot of because yeah. of the way that they're building but also Definitely gaps there that you can exploit. Definitely, especially in terms of the defence, it's completely new. Max Ahrens, we just said, is a new signing. Kirk has started left-back. He's a new signing. Senezi was there last season, but Zabani only just now come into the team, so he's a new signing. So you are yeah. looking at a completely new um sort of defensive quartet and then Nedo in goal, obviously, is a, a very, very solid keeper as well. So there's opportunities there from a Liverpool perspective to get at them and to get behind them. And I do think... This will be a game we dominate possession a lot more than certainly we did against Chelsea, which, as I mentioned on the last part, really surprised me how much we didn't control the mm. ball, let alone where we played with the ball. Uh, so hopefully we see a step up in that regard. And to do so, we're going to have to move the ball very, very quickly. Because one thing that they're going to have Rafa around billing as their double pivot is really, really good energy closing down, really good positional play in the person lanes. They are very difficult to bypass just, through sheer volume of workload really.
1: Yeah, and, and one of the things that when Irola was at viacano I mean they they were noted for the 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 slick passing and movement of the team, but the work rate that those players put in for him as well. Clearly something he demands a lot of from his players is is energy and effort. And um I, I wouldn't be surprised Carl if Next summer, we're sitting here podcasting, and there is talk that top clubs are eyeing, and probably earlier in the summer, obviously than this. But you know, the top clubs are starting to eye him in a similar way to how Deserby has been, um, been received in England. Now, I I don't think he'll have the same success, shall we say, as Deserby. I don't think we'll be seeing Bournemouth in the top six, but. It certainly wouldn't surprise me if they finished 11th or 12th and were very, very comfortable in mid-table. I think they'll be a fun watch. I think they'll they'll leak some goals just because that's a young defence with... Now, Lloyd Kelly is a natural leader, but I just don't think he's a natural centre-back. I think he's always been a left-back who got shifted into the middle because he worked in a back three. I don't know that he works as well. In the back for the centre back, but it's a young defence that's that's come together in one summer. Um, Senisi's twenty six, and he's by far the oldest. I think Aaron's is twenty three, uh, Zabarni is twenty, and it, is Kirk is nineteen or twenty. Like they're they're very very young. Um, and obviously they, at the moment they just don't have that ball winner in midfield, but they get Tyler Adams, who will help. I think they'll create lots and lots of chances. Both on, on this coming weekend, I could see them creating a raft of chances and, and across the season, I think they'll create a lot. The question is who's putting the ball in the net? Now, you mentioned the two options they have. They have Semenyo and they have Dom Solanke. Dom started last season looking like he had cracked the code to the Premier League and he ended up with seven goal, uh, six goals in the league, seven in all competitions. Coming off a season in which he scored thirty for for them in the championship, twenty nine in the league, thirty in all competitions, he got his goal at the weekend and he looked confident. I I just don't know if he's a reliable enough goal scorer. And with Semenyo, he's a player I do like and I admired him when he was at Bristol, but he's not he's not a big time goal scorer. His best season is eight in thirty two in all competitions for Bristol. Um last season now, to be fair to him, he was on he was on course to, to beat that. He had seven in, in twenty-five. He ended up with eight in thirty-five between his time at Bristol and his time at at Bournemouth. I do think he's a talented player. I just don't think he's a nine. I think he's like a second striker kind of wide player type, maybe get an inside forward and a three or something. I do just wonder if that's If if they should like I think they're fine to roll into the season with what they have because they can find goals from that second line and you know you listed all the players, and of course Billing has played as a ten for them as well and showed himself to be a decent goal threat in that role when they were in the championship. I, I just wonder if their focus for January needs to be we need a goal scorer. We need someone in here that we can rely on to get us goals. But I think they're going to be good. Um, I do just think that lack of... The lack of somebody that I know is going to get me 12 to 15 in the league, that does put a a big ceiling on them, like a a relatively low ceiling on them, I should say.
2: So what you're saying is that they are now exactly morphing into Brighton of two years ago?
1: Graham Potter's Brighton, yeah, basically. Now, I think they'll be... I think they'll actually be more entertaining than Potter's Brighton. But, yeah, that is that is my concern. I, I just... Now, look, Dom is still young. What age is, is Solanke? He's, well, he's 25 now. he would be 26 in a couple of weeks. So, th- this kind of is the make-or-break season for him, in my view, because it it will be his fourth season, fifth season, really, as a Premier League player. He had the one season with us, he got one goal and 21 appearances. Then he had the season that he split between us and them, but he only played 10 games. Then his full season with them, he got three goals in 32 games. And then last season, he got six in 33. I think he needs to, I think he needs to prove it this year, or, or I think they need to look to move on in January. If he If he doesn't have eight goals by December, like late December coming towards the new year, I think they've got to go and find a reliable goal scorer. As I said, I think they'll be fine in terms of survival anyway. And maybe that's all that matters to them for this season, you know, to, to establish themselves in the league, to overcome that second season syndrome, which it has, has hurt better teams than them. But I, I do think they, they've got to find, they've got to find goals and they've, they've got to find regular reliable goals.
3: allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think Solanke, in all honesty, probably provides more to them in terms of build-up and off-the-ball play and defensive work than he does in terms of finishing matters off. Um, that is not going to be an immediate thing that they look to change just because of his involvement in that. I think a lot of their, obviously, preseason preparation and the rotation of positions that we talk about in the second line stems off the back of that movement and that work rate that he does have for them. But yes, ultimately, one, to stay up and two, to progress. Teams have to have goal scorers. We've seen that with pretty much every single club who has tried to take that step to get away from Mm. being small and being fighting relegation all the rest of it. And you can even look at Everton and include teams like that and Wolves as well as they played in their opening weekend. It's still the same factor that all of them need, lack and have to improve on to pass on another level.
1: If I could make a suggestion to to Bournemouth, um, PSG are open to a loan with an option to buy on Hugo Eketiki, who fits the mould of what you're doing in terms of buying talented young players to develop and, and sell on at a future date might just be one to kick the tires on because you, you sparked it into my head me- mentioning Everton. They've been linked with him. Um, but you know, he's he's hugely talented. Um, fairly unproven, it must be said, and didn't have a great time with PSG last year, but I do think he could potentially be one they could maybe look at or, or at least you know try and get him on a loan even if there's no option to buy. Um, Right, Liverpool, Carl. So, news this morning that one Curtis Jones is a doubt for the weekend with a slight knock to his ankle, which is is disappointing. Um, we know that Besetic is is still out, and we know that thiago's back in training, but not going to play this weekend. So it does leave us a little bit light again in midfield. Um, I would expect... That Jurgen makes a change in the midfield area. I don't think you can do the same, the same three again. The Cody thing did not work at all. Is it possible that Endo just comes straight in and starts just for this game? Yeah, to give
2: us because, a bit of breathing room. Yeah, because he's fit and he already played the game. So yeah, yes, yeah. it is absolutely fine. Um, in terms of, is it possible? I think so one training session to play a role that he absolutely knows already is also fine, I think. Obviously, there are intricacies with our exact midfield setup at the moment, but I don't think that from the position of the number six or the perspective of the number six, it's terribly tricky. I think some of the other roles have more uh, variation to deal with than the number six, let's say. Um, And again, you're kind of looking at You have to have somebody in. You need to have somebody who's going to do a good job in. And as we mentioned before, the Chelsea pod is it going to be worse playing someone who is fit and been there a few more weeks, but doesn't play the role, or someone who is completely new but does play the role? You know, are you going to go with a little bit more cohesion or a little bit more natural knowledge of the subject? You know, we didn't necessarily know it was going to be Alexis playing there. We were speaking about Jones playing that role last time, but the same principle applied. Um, so I do think that it's not going to be the end of the world if he just comes straight in and plays. The only other thing I would suggest is that if he particularly wants to try Cody in a more withdrawn role and another center forward, which if so should be Darwin, not Jota after those weekend performances, Mm. um, maybe flip it to a two, three, one and just keep the double pivot. It's not going to allow as much movement from Trent unless it's, he moves on and then, Dominic moves on again in, in relation to that, but it would allow Cody to be a 10 and have a double pivot. I don't think it gets the best out of yeah. Um It probably doesn't allow us to do the Trent thing, but if it's just for a one game or part of one game, at least that is an alternative. But all things considered, I think putting in somebody completely new would be less, uh, not damaging, I suppose, but wouldn't have such a negative impact in multiple players multiple positions, multiple link ups. And of course, if he is going straight into central midfield, he's been in Germany for a long time, shouldn't have any trouble communicating with Dominic Soversley, for example. Mm. Uh, I d I don't think it would be terrible to just throw him straight in.
1: I, I think to be fair, I think you do just throw him straight in. I think like he, he's he's had a full pre season. Like you said, he's already had a competitive game. He's ready to play. It, this is not a guy coming off the couch. This is not a guy who's going to be in any way out of shape. So I, I would be inclined to throw him straight in. Um, and, I, I, and I do like the idea of, of just, you know, having an actual defensive midfielder in there who does the tackling and the ball winning. And you just keep it real simple from. See the ball, win the ball, and then give it to one of these other lads. Just keep it real simple. Don't try and overplay. Don't even lift your head. Find Alexis. Find Dominic. Find Trent. If needs most, turn around and give it to Virgil. Don't do anything else. Do it really simple and ease your way in. I don't think we should be doing the inverted midfielder thing, Carol. The inverted fullback into midfield, I should say, because I think Andy Robertson's a complete liability in that. In that Shape in that system.
2: Yeah, Uh, it's going to continue at this point.
1: I thought his performance at Chelsea was genuinely shocking. Raheem Sterling ate him alive. Raheem Sterling hasn't done that to anybody in about three years. And he tore him apart. 1v1, he tore him apart. And I kept hearing people say, oh, but Cody wasn't giving him enough help. Cody not giving him help is not the reason Raheem Sterling was skinning him over and over and over again. Cody not giving him enough help is not the reason he wasn't close enough to his man. And Cody not giving him enough help isn't the reason he wasn't good on the ball either. Now, could Cody have done more to help him? Absolutely. So could Luis Diaz but Andy Robertson needs to be held accountable for Andy Robertson's performance. And he was, by quite a distance, and there was competition, but he lapped the field. He was the worst player on the pitch.
2: You leaving him in?
1: I wouldn't, personally. I wouldn't. I'd start Costas. So I think Costas, it, Costas isn't as good a player as robin Let's, let's be really clear on that. Andy Robertson is a better footballer than Costas Simikas, But I think Costas is more diligent and will do what he's told a bit better. I keep hearing people say, oh, well, Robbo's doing what Klopp's asking him to do. But then why, when Costas plays the role, does he play it a very different way? It's the same nonsense we heard for years about Henderson oh, but that's what Klopp wants them to do as a six, then why do Fabinho, Ginny, Emre, and everybody else that's played that role, including Milner and Lalana, who had no business in that role, why did they all play it one way and Henderson played it a completely different way? The same in the right-sided midfield role. Ox, Nabi, Milner, Ginny, Thiago, Harvey Elliott, all played it one way, and Henderson played it a completely different way. And we were told, oh, well, that's what the manager wants. Well, if it's what he wants, why doesn't everybody do it that way? I don't believe Jurgen Klopp can be in any way happy with what he's seen from Andy Robertson. Not just in this shape, but in the old shape as well for the last 18 months. And the thing is, at the weekend, we did play it back for, for most of the game because they had the ball for most of the game. Trent wasn't inverted into midfield because we didn't have the ball. And Robbo still stank the place out as a left-back.
2: So for your 11 then, unchanged uh, goalkeeper and three of the four defence, and then Costas in for Robbo, and you're putting Endo, Soberslai, McAllister.
1: Yeah, and I'm putting Cody in between uh, Salah
2: and Diaz. So you're still starting Cody. Yeah. I'm inclined to go with Darwin.
1: I don't, I don't mind it. As Trent would say, I don't mind it. You know, I love the guy and I'm very, very happy if he starts because I think, I think he could cause that Bournemouth defense some serious trouble. But I I do think he will. The thing is, he's going to start Robbo. Like, I know he's going to start Robbo. So my logic was he's going to start Cody. But yeah, if it's me picking, I'm putting Costas in and yeah, I'd put Darwin in. Tell I, me, I,
2: what did you see? What did you see either before the match or during the match which suggested to you right decision to start Jota? Nothing.
1: Absolutely nothing. I thought, I thought the front line looked completely disjointed because Diogo Jota, from a technical standpoint, just isn't up to snuff a lot of the time. I think Jota does... Jota does Jota things really well, but I don't know that those things are always conducive to a functioning front three. His his touch is poor. He doesn't make the right decision a lot of the time. Like He nicked the ball off Dominic's toes when Dominic was slaloming through the defence and literally one more Dominic touch and he has opened up a huge bit of space for himself. To shoot from 12 yards. One more touch around that last defender who was going to ground. And Jota decided, I know what I'll do. I'll just randomly take a wild hack at this and skewed it wide. Like that kind of decision making is just infuriating to me. I don't, I think the role for Jota is super sub off the bench, 15, 20 minute bursts. You get everything he has to offer, lots of energy, good movement, and generally quite good finishing. But I I, I don't want Jota in the starting eleven if For the Cups and the Europa League, absolutely fine. Play him left wing, play him right wing, whatever you want to do. In the Cups, I'm happy enough with that. In the league, I do not want him starting unless there's players injured. And I like him. I think he's a good player, but I want him used in a role where I think we get the most out of him. And I think that's off the bench.
2: I won't be starting him this weekend for sure. I don't think he played well in the slightest. And like you say, technically level, I think most players at the start of the game when we were moving the ball very, very quickly, getting between Chelsea's lines, most of them were decent. Most of them were very good, in fact, from a technical perspective, but Jota's wasn't and... As I said before, I didn't see all preseason, so I'm not going to like rush to say he shouldn't have been in the lineup anyway. But even from a tactical perspective, with him dropping deep, I thought that took away a lot of what Solusla was trying to do with the driving forward and picking up the balls a little bit further, higher up field. And uh, even from Diaz's perspective, he was making those runs diagonally and coming an infield at times to pick up play and getting in each other's way a little bit. So we'd like to sort that out.
1: Yeah, yeah, agreed. So we're in agreement then on, on a Dominic Endo Alexis midfield. Um I, I think it's the best option for us for this game for certain. I think we're yeah, we'd be in agreement then on the front three, Mo, Darwin, and and Diaz. What would you do at left back?
2: Um suppose is out of the question to play endo there as well. <laughs>
1: Just clone yourself, lad. Get on to some of them them smart Japanese fellas and see if they've they've come up with cloning yet. Would you try Joe Gomez if you want to do the inverted thing?
2: Uh, I wouldn't be starting Gomez just because, again, he's not been anywhere near it in terms of fitness level and Mm. doesn't seem to have had too much impact over preseason as well. I'm not 100% sure what is the situation there with him or Matip. And as you say, he's not been in training this week or the last couple of days anyway, so... I don't think we'll see any changes in defense at all, to be honest.
1: no neither do I, neither do I. um and and uh, that that's why I think they might have um they might have shelved the idea to bring in a left footed center back because I think Jurgen has decided he's just going to roll with Andy Robertson, regardless um of the you know the, the guy cannot play this this system, cannot play it at all doesn't have the physical capabilities, doesn't have the intelligence to play it. But I think he's just going to keep rushing him out there. Now, maybe in January, that changes and, and we go and we bring somebody in. But I mean... I think we've already missed the boat on the guy who would have slotted in really well in, in Mickey van de Ven. And there's there's others out there that we could go and get, but it looks like Goncalo Inascio is signing a new deal with sporting which will raise his buyout. Now he's probably too short for Jurgen anyway. Jurgen does like his centre backs to be of a certain, you know, physical presence, you know, six two, six three at a minimum, broad shouldered, all the rest. Um, but yeah, uh, shall we, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, right, let's just let's just wrap this up. What's your prediction for the game?
2: Mm, fairly low key, two nil.
1: I like it. I like it. I don't know that I, I trust us to keep a clean sheet though. So I'm going to go same margin of victory, but I'll go three one. I, I just think there's there's too much. Chaos in our defense at the moment, either side of of Virgil and eboo and and what they're being asked to do at the moment is just it's it's not healthy asking them to do as much as they are they're basically both playing two roles when we do this inverted thing Virgil's doing his role and Robbo's, and eboo's doing his role and the right back role because Trent is you know gallivanting and half arsening it to get back um Right, we will leave it there. Have you anything coming out that you wish to plug? Not immediately,
2: not before the weekend's game.
1: No. Hopefully, hopefully, Michael Elise signing a new contract means that Liverpool are zeroing in on Czech de Cure and uh, someone that I know who would know says that he has been told that de Cure thinks he's joining Liverpool. So
0: fingers crossed on that one, and. Uh,